Hey everyone and welcome to the Futuristic Enterprise Podcast, a collaboration between Leaderonomics and Picture Eats. My name is Kim, one of the hosts for this show and in this podcast series, we interview leaders of sustainable enterprises and dive deep into their life-changing stories and the amazing work they are doing around the world. In the first episode, I caught up with Pamela in Ethiopia right after the Social Enterprise World Forum and found out that she could have been somebody totally different if she didn't follow her passion. Here's what she had to say. Thank you, Pamela, for accepting my first interview <laughs> oh, for wow. my podcast. You're the first person that I thought of. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> All right. So uh, we have met each other uh, through the GAP program. It's called the Global Accelerator Program by mm-hmm. Magic. And it was in 2018. And I was really amazed by Phoenix's uh, passion and tenacity. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason why is because you're always so bubbly. You're always so ready to talk about Phoenix. Um, <laughs> but before we start diving into deep discussions, uh, mm-hmm. can you introduce a bit about what what Phoenix is and yourself. Okay, so hi everyone. My name is Pamela Mejia. I'm from Manila, Philippines. I'm 29 years old. I'm a fashion social entrepreneur and I'm a founder of a textile recycling social enterprise called Phoenix. So what we do is we collect textile waste such as old clothes and fabric scraps and we transform them into higher valued products such as footwear, bags, new fabric and now we're dealing with furniture as well wow mm. okay so how did this idea came about so because like uh, there are always like uh, you're talking about fashion right yeah. and then like in in philippines are you all always into fashion and and i know there are a lot of situations uh, that are causing um this thing a lot of uh, environmental issue yeah. and things like this so mm. could you just walk us through um where did this idea came about okay so it actually if we go back to my history, I've been a fashion entrepreneur since I was 17. So I had an online clothing store since I was 17. Then at 21, I put up my own shoe brand. And then um, during my senior year in college, so in university, I was taking clothing technology. And for my master dissertation, I mean undergrad dissertation, um, what I did was I studied fashion social enterprises in the Philippines. And then that's what that was my first encounter with social entrepreneurship. And that's when I realized that I should be putting up a fashion business that actually has an actual impact either to the environment or to, you know, underprivileged people. So um, when I was thinking, okay, what should I do? What should I do? Um, I was thinking of what is one of the biggest problems in the fashion industry, not just in my country, but um, in general as an industry. And I thought it's textile waste. So the next day I went to my closet and then I got some old clothes, then went to my shoemakers and I asked them, can you please make these into shoes? And that's how Phoenix was born. Whoa, so <clears throat> you've been in this fashion business for 12 years. Yes, that's right. This is <laughs> at 17 years old, you think you want to, you thought that you want to run a fashion uh, line and yes. uh, you, you, you got like, wow, that's 12 years. It's a very yes, long year. A very long okay, time. so 
let's talk about Philippines. Okay. Right? I I know I've been to Philippines and I've been there for three times mm-hmm. and um I I've seen how passionate the people are and the situations that they uh, live in mm-hmm. and I understand there are a lot of slums there as yes. well. Um so just walk us through about the uh just walk us through on the environmental issue and the social issue that's happening in Philippines. I saw a lot on social media as well. People are eating pak pak. They call yes, it. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. so uh, all these what how 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 does it look like right now so i guess in you know in general the poverty in the philippines is quite common and um i guess from my perspective as a fashion entrepreneur um one of my inspirations in creating phoenix was we don't have proper waste disposals of any type of waste in general so for me to step in Um I realize we have no textile recycling center, you know, one that can properly dispose textile waste. And in terms of the social, um I agree with you there are actually a lot of slums, people living below the poverty line. And again from the fashion perspective, um for example, the shoemakers actually it uh we used to have a very thriving shoe industry in the Philippines. We're talking about 2000 shoe factories. Oh. But because of international competition with China, um now we're only 200 shoe factories. So imagine how many shoe artisans have lost their jobs because of that. So I guess uh, those types of things actually lead to, you know, living below poverty line. Yeah. Is it just uh the the I'm I'm sure there are other industries that are affected as well. Yeah. Do you know what kind of Um I guess I'm not really that familiar but what I'm familiar with is that a lot of the industries actually underpay um employees. So let's let's say um in the health industry, uh Filipinos are known to be nurses from all over the world. Um nursing is one of like mm-hmm. the most popular uh, professions in the Philippines. But if you work as a nurse in the Philippines, you're paid $100 a month. A month compared to $3000 in the US or in the UK. So, I guess that's one of the things, you know, under underpaying the workers in the Philippines. There's a very huge gap yes. there. Yes. Wow. Um <clears throat> okay, so we 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 covered a bit about Philippines. Let's mm-hmm. talk about international. Uh since you're so into fashion and yeah. you've been in fashion for 12 years, I'm sure you've observed the whole fashion um lying yeah. and how it has moved uh, around the world mm-hmm. so what are your opinions on like fast moving fashion industry like you have people in H&M and yes. Uniqlo mm-hmm. you know always coming out with new fashion like every yes month or so mm-hmm. yeah so what what's your opinion on those so first of all like one of the biggest inspirations of phoenix really is knowing that the fashion industry is the second largest polluter in the world and fa- the fashion industry is also the second largest user of water So imagine all the resources that this industry is using and actually polluting. So that's one and like you mentioned all these big big brands like H&M, Uniqlo, Forever 21, they have all normalized fast fashion. So from a consumer's perspective, um because these brands are always coming up with new collections every month, as a consumer, if you buy clothes, you'll be like you're you're less to take care of your clothes and more likely to throw them out or like not take care of them because you know you can buy something cheap anyway. Mm. Yeah, and then like now today there are always a lot of uh, second hand shops yes. uh trying to reuse and, mm. and and resell those uh, clothes yes. as well. 
Um, yeah, so I, I, I went through your Instagram mm-hmm. and your Facebook and um, the, the, I saw those photos about uh, how you reuse uh, certain mm, unwanted yes. uh, clothes or unwanted uh, materials to turn into um, very nice designs. I love the designs, especially the latest one where you <laughs> use the kimono. Yes. <clears throat> so uh, um, in your uh, internal structure, who comes up with the design and how 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 you all execute them mm. and how, where do you all send it to to produce them and yeah okay so i'll walk you through the process so we actually have a creative director who um, makes a decision of which products um to make so it depends on the design of the bags and design of the shoes but also how we actually decide on our products is the availability of the textile waste. So, for example, in our latest collection, it's all um, authentic uh, vintage Japanese kimonos, right? So, the way we decided on the design was we actually picked on the colors and the prints of the patterns, and then that's where we decide on okay, this one goes for the bags because it's nicer with the bags, this one goes for the shoes because it's easier to pair up with. And then from there, we send them to our bar, to our bag artisans, and then our shoe artisans. Then they make it, and then they give it back to us, and then we do all the shooting, and mm-hmm. then we release it. So the artisans are Filipinos that you are trying to help them. Yes. Yes. So the artisans are our community partners. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So what kind of recycle items do you take in? Because a lot of people don't know mm. and or have no idea what textile okay. are. Uh, okay to go and recycle okay so to you what kind of textile do you take in to recycle into the products that you're making okay so phoenix actually accepts two kinds of textile waste one is um old clothes from households like from regular people like us so for those who so i always say this that um if you have old clothes and you you have already donated some for charity or you know handed it down to somebody else your last we can be your last option which is phoenix but and then the second one is garment factories you know how those who are making clothes when you cut the patterns in the fabric there's always what we call the off cuts Mm. so these are leftover fabrics from when you cut the pattern so a lot of these garment factories actually tend to just burn these fabrics so the the one one way they dispose it is they burn the fabrics which is really bad Plus, it, it's a, a waste of resource. Two is, they actually sell it to um, very small um, sewing people. Oh. And then they turn it into rags. So, instead of them doing that, they actually sell it to Phoenix. Actually, not sell it. They, they, they actually donate it. But in a way, for, for them to actually account it in their company, we have to pay a minimal fee. Yeah. Okay, I understand. So, um, I'm sure you agree with me, running a social enterprise, it's not just about, you know, making a social impact. It's not about uh, just trying to uh, alleviate the environmental issue and also the social issue. We have to make profits out of it yes. and to make sure that uh, we continue to sustain for a very long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So, walk me through your business model. How does it uh, generate income for for you or mm-hmm. the people that you're working with mm-hmm. um, with Phoenix? Yeah. So from the start, um, I really made it clear that as a social enterprise, we are for the triple bottom line. It's always planet, people, but profit is always important because, of course, how ca- how else can we actually help the environment and the people that we're helping with if we're not running on profit? 
Um, so basically, our revenue driver are the products that we sell. Mm. Okay, okay. So where do you sell them right now? So right now, our products are available in Malaysia. So we are our stores are in consignment with AirAsia Foundation. And then we recently had the pop-up store in KLCC. And then we're also available online in the Philippines. Okay, so mm-hmm. uh, have you like thought uh, of putting out your online or e-commerce platform mm. worldwide, like international? Yeah, so because um, right now, I guess because this year we actually got a lot of traction due to a video that was made by United Nations Environment and it was globally shared. So we had a lot of um, inquiries regarding international orders. And now that I'm based in London, a lot of people are also asking, can we buy? So um, I think the next step really is to make the e-commerce an international thing, especially international shipping. Will yeah. logistics be an issue for, uh, sending it from <clears throat> the Philippines? Yeah, so um, that's the number one challenge right now because um, it's e- it's really easy to go through with the whole production thing, but to fly it um, to even Malaysia um, and London even is harder. So the number one challenge right now is um, actually shipping the products to London because customs are quite strict. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> anyone listening to this, we need logistics partner. Yes. Please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let's go uh, into a bit of your personal um, mm. life. Like okay. um, a lot of people, when they tell their families or their parents that um, like mom, dad, I'm going to be a social entrepreneur. And social entrepreneur is not a conventional yeah. career. It's very unconventional. So how did your family react when you, you want you decided to take on social entrepreneurship? Okay, this is this is a very interesting story on my part and how I actually came here. Um so we are a family of nurses and doctors. Like I told you earlier in the Philippines a lot of us are nurses. So I am the eldest in both sides. I'm the eldest granddaughter both sides. Um, and both sides are all families of nurses and doctors. So I am required to be in the medical field. So when I got into the university, I did rebel a little bit. Um, I actually took speech pathology. So speech pathology, for those who are not familiar, what we do is we actually do therapy on kids with autism, speech deficiencies. And my patients were usually adults who had brain damage, who forgot to actually, how to actually speak. Um, so my my family really loved it because the salary is three times higher than a nurse. So okay, we're good. But then um, I had one year left to graduate university. My online clothing store was really thriving that time, and I knew in my heart ever since I was eleven, I knew I really wanted to take up something in fashion. And then so during my last year in pre med school, my professor actually talked to me and convinced me that I should be doing. A fashion business instead of going all through this because if I go and graduate in this course it's gonna be a trap so I secretly transferred to clothing technology even if it meant me starting university all over again like literally even if a lot of my subjects were actually um, how do you call it like they were um, I didn't have to take the minors but the majors because it's a ladderized system I have to go back to freshman year so um, I remember during my first day of clothing tech, my mom actually gave me my med uniform and she was like, oh, why are you so dressed up? You look really nice. And I'm like, 
uh, mom and then I started crying and so she was like why what happened and then so I revealed to my parents that I secretly transferred and long story short um, I was grounded for six months <laughs> and my grandmother didn't talk to me for a year and I was asked to pay for my tuition for that whole year as punishment but um, you know family is family so in the end they they still support me and up to now what they do is they still challenge me they always say that if you chose this path you should always earn way more than a nurse will so that's the challenge <laughs> yeah well that's the entrepreneur's yeah. uh, path you probably wouldn't like uh, earn a lot like at the initial stage but yeah. if, 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 you, if you really succeed and if you've created a demand that people really want yeah then I, I think you do really well that's um, true <clears throat> so yeah, I, I've been a rebel myself as well <laughs> and uh, I was a, I, I, I was studying high school and I did really well and turned into a musician yeah. and changed my major and then today as a social entrepreneur yeah. as well right <laughs> so um what are the young what what are the advices that you would give for a young kid today who has this who is in the same position um have have uh have you know family pr- pressure or peer yeah. pressure to uh, make sure that they do uh are the path uh, the path that their yeah. family wants but not there so what advice would you I think for me, um, this is very, it's very quite personal to me because me actually, so my parents wanted me to take this path because this is the secure path. And the root cause of that is that because my dad's business um, really went down. So what happened was early on in my life, I became one of the breadwinners in my family and I still am to this day. And so I told myself, which is like, sort of an advice to to the people, to the young people who want to pursue the path that you and I are both in is that first is, if you're gonna go in this path, you really have to commit yourself to it. And for me, my driving force was I really wanted to prove my parents wrong that I can actually excel in the field that I actually really like. Um, what I noticed is that, two is, in connection with that, what I noticed that is that when we, you know, when we were younger, a lot of people always say that, you know, passion, passion will bring you money. But I used to believe in that. But now what I believe in is that you have to be really, 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 really good at something. I don't care what that is, whether that's your passion or not. And then from there, that's when wealth and all these opportunities will start coming in. And then lastly... Um, entrepreneurship is not for everybody it's really 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 difficult so if you're gonna go through with this my number one advice is might as well do something that involves uh, giving impact either to the environment or for the underprivileged people well said (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh, let's let's come out a bit uh, and we talk a bit back to Philippines yeah uh, of its uh, uh, I mean, both of us are in this uh, social enterprise world forum uh, twenty nineteen in yeah. Ethiopia, and uh, and I'm sure our listeners want to know uh, a bit about like how the o- ecosystem of social enterprise in Philippines is like. Um, is it thriving and things? I've I've visited like uh, GK mm-hmm. uh, Gawakalinga last two years, mm-hmm. and I've learned a lot. 
from them turning from an NGO to a social yeah. enterprise and today mm. they're really trying to reach to millions yeah. uh, that's their vision so what are your what is your take on the ecosystem in, in the Philippines, Philippines. Okay, um, so I actually wanted to talk to you about my other startup. So I have this other startup called Fibers. Fiber stands for Fashion Inclusive Businesses for Environment Reformation and Sustainability. Like you're not busy enough, right? <laughs> so basically what we do is we train aspiring and current fashion social entrepreneurs in the Philippines, Malaysia, and Thailand. So we did the booth camps. So we run one-week booth camps and we train these um social entrepreneurs, right? So what I noticed, if I was comparing the ecosystem of fashion social entrepreneurship, I noticed that um, in Thailand, it's it's in a very early stage. In Malaysia, you um, it's progressing. But in the Philippines, we're saturated. Now, in terms of ecosystem in our country, what I noticed is that even there's so many social entrepreneurs in our country. You know, um, it's really like in de- different industries, whether it's um, agriculture, health, tourism, or fashion, there's a lot of us really. But what's missing with us, and this is, I, I noticed this when I lived in Malaysia because of the Global Accelerator Program, was that the support for social entrepreneurs is not there compared to, let's say, your country, right? So what, what my fellow social entrepreneurs and I always say is that Filipino social entrepreneurs always have to bootstrap from the start because you, um, it's not common for us to get support from the government. And you will notice that a lot of us actually got our funding internationally and never from our own country. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's it's great to know. Uh, like, country like Philippines. Mm. Um, I I always believe like social enterprise would really thrive yeah. in places that are that that you know have poverty issues mm. and environmental issues. Yeah. Uh, very heavy. Uh, social issues. Places like Cambodia, Vietnam. Yeah. Their social enterprising is thriving. Yeah. Indonesia. Yes, because true. they've been through that, mm. and they don't want to be stuck in that mm-hmm. uh, poverty cycle, yeah. right? And and even though no one is going to support that idea, they will still try to find ways to yeah. to to get that funding or grab that opportunity to thrive. So, mm. uh, very very admirable of all mm. these countries that yeah. are doing great work. I so. Um, I re- I know that recently you've got a scholar, yeah. a scholarship, a Shefning uh, yes. scholarship to study in UK for mm-hmm. your masters, yes. masters in fashion. Yes, fashion entrepreneurship and innovation. You've yeah, really come a really long <laughs> way. Uh, so how how does it feel like that you have to maintain your social enterprise in? Uh, Philippines, Philippines and then you have fibers yes and then uh, <laughs> and now I'm doing my doing your masters in UK <laughs> yeah so honestly it's um. Before flying and moving into London, it's something I always put push at the back of my head because um, I know it's going to be very difficult. So right now you can say that um, Phoenix is like, we're slower than the usual because I am not full-time on it. But because I am in London, what I'm doing is I'm getting all opportunities that I can to actually launch Phoenix in London and get a lot of grants in London. And what I love about being in London is that fashion, sustainable fashion brands is a really hot topic there. So therefore, like there's so many workshops, um, competitions, and a lot of networking that I can actually leverage on to scale Phoenix in London. 
See, so I, I, I really think that it's really cool where you grab the opportunity mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and see what's the, uh, what's the chances to mm. really scale this uh, idea mm. international. And I always believe that international is the way to go. Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh, we're kind of at the end of okay. our interview. Thank you so much. But let's just end this uh, podcast with one last piece of advice for any entrepreneurs out there or especially social entrepreneurs because it's a very very lonely journey i would say i mean being an entrepreneur is hard enough being a social entrepreneur is extra hard yeah right because you're trying to tackle things that people didn't want to do at the first place yeah it's going to be very lonely so any advice for people who is going to go go on such journey yeah so um i always share this to to like my aspiring fashion social entrepreneurs I always say that um, I have I, I always say three things one is whatever it is that you're planning to do it always has to have impact on it okay that's one two is um, what I notice and I'm sure you will agree as founders our mental health is very important because I've experienced so many burnouts so um, it's it's important for you to value not just your physical health but also your mental health and lastly you have to believe and value the importance of perfect timing because what i notice is that even if we have all the best ideas and best products and the best social enterprise we can think of if it's not yet your time to break through it will not happen so all you have to do is persevere okay so um impact not burn out and persevere yes <laughs> for one timing yes for okay. the perfect time okay yeah. okay cool so thank you very much uh very enjoyable throughout this whole conversation uh and i hope you uh, will uh, do this again yes okay. okay thank you so that was pamela mihia and what i learned from her story was that you may not necessarily follow the path you originally planned but most importantly enjoy the process persevere and don't ever forget about impact If you like this podcast, stay tuned for our next episode. I'm Kim, signing off. You've been listening to Leadernomics FM, the science of building leaders.